Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame. Join us and embrace the thrill, excitement, and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed, and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi, and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college football. Ohio State has had enough. The Buckeyes are dominating the recruiting trail and the NIL market. Is this model of college football sustainable, and how different will defending champion Michigan look next season? Welcome to the heartbeat of college football. Blake Biscardi and David Wertheim with you for the 71st episode of the Saturday Cadence podcast, part of the Silver Bulletin Network. David, we have seen a ton of major news since Michigan was crowned national champions just a couple of weeks ago. Transfer portal, recruiting classes, retirements for head coaches, other coaches taking new jobs. Let's hop into all of it here, and we will start with Ohio State's domination of the recruiting trail as of late. Yeah, we'll get into all of it here in just a second, but the Buckeyes have certainly won the last couple of weeks. It's been really impressive to see what they've done in the wake of Michigan's championship. I uh, look forward to discussing that. Look forward to discussing the Wolverines and, and anything else we get into here today. Yeah, there's a ton on the show, jam-packed slate, so we'll slow it down here for a second in the early intros just to recap what's gone on. Nick Saban has retired from Alabama. The Tide have hired Kalen DeBoer from Washington to be its head coach. And then you saw Jed Fish from Arizona go to Washington now. And then Jim Harbaugh is in the NFL market. Sources are indicating they're very close to a deal together for him to go to the Chargers. So what Michigan could do there, likely promoting Sharon Moore, that remains to be seen. And David, I don't know about you, but this rule that is really hurting Alabama right now is when a head coach retires or if they have a changing of the guard there, the transfer portal window opens for 30 days for that program where their players can just basically take a mass exodus if they want while they really can't add anybody unless it's from other programs that are in the same situation. So I think that's a rule that needs to be adjusted uh, moving forward in college football because it's pretty much Alabama's roster is right for the pickings if they want to be. Yeah, it is. You've seen the Buckeyes take advantage of that. You've seen Florida State and Ole Miss take a couple from that. Georgia's been involved. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to see it all over the country. You've seen that Arizona – one of the few programs to kind of stay intact here throughout this cycle. And that's a testament more to the guys that they have on their roster and in that building. So good for them. But you see teams like Washington, Alabama already been decimated by the coaching changes. I'm sure you'll see that at Michigan. If Jim Harbaugh does end up going to the NFL and, you know, it's an unfortunate situation all around. You hate to see the programs get pilfered like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the kids have finally have an opportunity to either follow their coach where he goes or to maybe like Caleb Downs, for example, go to the team that finished 
second in his original recruitment. Um, so I think there, there's benefits. And there's also drawbacks here, and, and it's certainly interesting how it's all played out so far in this offseason. It is, and I think one thing you're seeing, too, with Alabama's roster here, and we'll parlay this into Ohio State because of Caleb Downs and a couple of the other players they've gotten, is Alabama's NIL game, per se, doesn't seem as strong as some other schools, and it looks surprising to the outside where you're like, they've just had Nick Saban, they've won all these national championships, they've won six since he's been the head coach there, they've dominated the sport for the better part of a decade. How is their NIL weak? Well, I don't think Alabama's NIL is weak. I just think that there was a quote-unquote unspoken discount to go play for the greatest coach of all time, that these players wanted to go play for Nick Saban. It wasn't really a money thing per se in some instances or some recruitments versus it being, all right, do I want to go play for this coach or do that? When you have an opportunity to play for Nick Saban, none of that other stuff really matters. So that discount is now gone because Kalen DeBoer is there. And this is nothing against Kalen DeBoer, but it just kind of makes it more fair market if you're going from the NIL perspective. Now that Saban is out of the game, there's no discount to go play for him in comparison to other coaches. Yeah, I think Saban was obviously the king of that, and as he should be. I mean, he's the greatest college football coach of all time. But, I mean, if you really dig in deep and look at the recruiting rankings from, for example, 2017, 2016, and then look at the recruiting rankings from 2022, 2023 – I mean, the same teams are still at the top. You still got Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, USC. And then you get the few teams that have, have boomed because of NIL, like Texas A&M and Ole Miss. But for the most part, I still think the number one factor is going to the place that's going to get you developed for the NFL, that's going to give you a shot to win a championship, and where you'll play against the best every single day in practice and then every week on the field during games. So I think that you know, NIL is a nice supplement, and it has certainly allowed for, for teams like Ole Miss and A&M, some others, Colorado, to kind of rise up and, and give themselves a shot, which is great. But uh, the elite programs are always going to be elite. They always have been elite, but will continue to adapt, like Ohio State and Alabama. So um, I do agree with what you said about Nick Saban. Absolutely, there was that discount. You heard it from several former players. Um, but, you know, now I think Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, the teams that were still at the top of those recruiting rankings what before NIL was a thing are going to be the most who benefit from this Nick Saban decision and retirement. And I think you've seen that already. Those are the teams that have really benefited uh, through Ole Miss in there from his departure and picking off that roster. Yeah, absolutely. And David, you talked about this way with the roster where NIL versus development or how you look at it as a recruit, what you value going up against the best in practice, where you're going to be maximized how are you going to get to the NFL if that's your goal? I think when you look around the country, a program that's really marrying all of those together right now is Ohio State because we've seen Ohio State's transfer portal class. It's quality over quantity. They've not taken a ton of guys like Ole Miss has. Ohio State's taken humongous names out of the portal, being Caleb Downs, the safety from Alabama, Julian Sayan, the talented five-star quarterback, Seth McLaughlin, he's the center from Alabama there. Will Howard out of Kansas State. Quinshaw Judkins. So you have those massive names out of the portal for Ohio State. Part of that NIL, part of that development, part of that, like you said, going to the school that finished number two in the recruitment back in the original days. And then you see Ohio State's returning 15 of the 22 starters from a year ago. So when you look at the roster makeup for Ohio State, 2024 looks really promising as now they've added seven five-stars for the 2024 cycle, which Ohio State's never done before. This is a whole new level of recruiting, and I think 
you saw that seat for Ryan Day continue to warm throughout the last three years. And now I don't want to say it's hot, but it's as warm as it's going to be before it's hot if it's not already hot. And he's making moves now thinking he's coaching for his job or however you want to put that. And Ohio State looks to be on fire right now. Now they just have to go win it on the field because being offseason champions doesn't win you anything. Yeah, I think there's a reasonable chance if you're looking at Ohio State's roster and what they've added that they're going to upgrade at literally every single position on the field, which you don't see very often. Um, they had one hole in the secondary of safety, filled it with Caleb Downs. They have a hole at linebacker. They're going to move five-star Sonny Styles from safety to linebacker to fill that hole. They have a hole on the offensive line. They still do a tackle. Um, they, they, that's probably their last offseason piece. But they go out and they get McLaughlin. They have a hole at quarterback. They go out and get Will Howard. They add Judkins to that running back room, replacing Chip Trainum. That's an upgrade. Um, so I think you look at their roster, they have absolutely won the offseason. And that doesn't even mention the stockpiling of Julian Sayan, who's going to compete with Aaron Nolan next year to be QB1. Um, it's just been really impressive to watch what they've done. They've done some moves on the coaching staff, upgrades there with Bill O'Brien um, and Matt Guerrero taking over for Perry Eliano as safety. Um, so a lot of different things that they've done this offseason, and I think every single move is a winning move. I, there hasn't been a move that I've looked at yet that said, hmm, you know, I don't like this one. I think they, they've really won every single battle that they've set out to win, and it's been really impressive to watch. And I think they're absolutely the offseason chance. But like you said, that doesn't mean they can get complacent now. they still got a tough schedule ahead. They go to Oregon this year, Michigan at home, of course. they got a couple other tough ones mixed in there. And um, it's looking up for Ohio State. I know the fans are, are ready for the season to start tomorrow, but, you know, we still got a long way to go, and we'll see what else happens throughout the offseason. When you look at next year's schedule, too, not not just Ohio State, but the college football schedule and how with the expanded playoff and the expanded conferences it's going to be, that game in Eugene for Ohio State is going to be massive, also going to Happy Valley and playing Michigan at home, like you just said. Then you think about it in terms of the college football playoff. Now, for these top-end college football teams, your Georgias, your Alabamas, your Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Oregon, all of these schools and universities now, you're going to have to play for potentially 16 games on your schedule if you're going to win the national championship. So a lot of people are thinking, well, why are you adding Quidshaw Judkins to a running back room that has Travion Henderson, who's now going to start for his fourth straight year, which when was the last time Ohio State's running back has started all four years. I think you have to go all the way back to Archie Griffin. But you need that depth in the two deep and even three deep at some of these positions because of how many games you're going to have to play, the wear and tear that's going to take on the roster. And also you're going to have more evenly matched games on the schedule. For example, Oregon, Michigan, Penn State, and then a couple other Big Ten games in there that, you know, those teams that rotate being good. You look at Texas now going to the SEC how that will work out. Teams like Ole Miss luck out a little bit with their schedule. It's not as difficult there getting to avoid a handful of schools like Georgia. So I'm curious to see what these rosters where we're like, there's so much flash in the offseason, how they end up toward the end of the season because of the injuries and the extra games that we add, what they look like toward the end, because it's going to be a little bit of a different ballgame now with that expanded playoff and the extra rounds there. Yeah, it kind of feels like NFL roster building a little bit where you have to kind of beef up the trenches. You got to be too deep right. in several positions. You know, you just don't know exactly what's going to happen throughout a long season. So, yeah, I think that's that's a great way to put it. I think you've seen some teams, even Ohio State's done this in the past, 
grab veteran guys who are okay with maybe not playing every snap, maybe not being a starter. They're okay with that. Um, and I think that is what you're going to see a lot more of in the future. You're going to see guys come in. Hey, you know, maybe you can compete on a playoff team this year. You'll get some playing time, but you might not start. And I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are okay with that. And then you supplement that with the big additions like Ohio State did with Judkins, Caleb Downs, McLaughlin, and so on. Do you like retro apparel with vintage logos? Or do you prefer more current? Either way, Homefield has you covered. They pride themselves on celebrating the history and tradition of colleges and universities across the nation while also highlighting the present day. With over 150 schools to choose from, check out Homefield for all your apparel needs this season. Whether it's a t-shirt, hoodie, or loungewear, Homefield is the only place you should shop for your favorite college apparel. Use code CADENCE at checkout to receive 15% off your first order today. Yeah, exactly. Then, too, David, when you're seeing these rosters, how they're made up, and then you see a team like Florida State now in the ACC, that's one conference that really hasn't done much with expansion. So it's pretty much Clemson and Florida State in the ACC next year. Kyle McCord going to Syracuse. We don't know what that roster looks like, but he's probably the best quarterback beside DJU in that conference now. So Florida State with Mike Norvell, they've added some pieces from Alabama. I think Florida State's in a really promising place, too, for next year, looking at the college football playoff and how their conference is setting up because right now it's still set up with the 6-plus-6 for the auto bid. That's likely going to get changed to 5-plus-7 because of the Pac-12 situation. The bylaws do state you need eight teams to qualify for an auto bid and a bye week in the expanded playoff format. So I think Florida State's a team that you want to watch also coming out of the ACC next year that can be a little bit fresher than those Big Ten and SEC teams going through that gauntlet of a schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget about Miami. We'll see how that goes. But they've got Cam Moore. We'll see what they decide to do there. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting conference. I think it's pretty top-heavy, like you said, with Florida State at the top, Clemson behind, maybe Miami in there. We'll see what happens with a team like North Carolina. NC State's been loading up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think Florida State, you're going to see that that depth kind of play out. You'll see the same thing in the SEC with Texas, Ole Miss, kind of stockpiling their rosters as well. And it's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm really excited to see it develop. And it's kind of a new age. And this 12-team playoff, you know, we, we got a little bit used to the 10-team or the 14-team playoff for 10 years. And now it's time for the 12-team playoff. And, you know, it's going to change the game for sure. And I'm excited. It is. And when you talk about Miami, too, Mario Cristobal is recruiting well down there. I know they're getting into the NIL game as more of a major player than other universities. You said they've kind of been like Texas A&M in that respect, not a national perennial power, but still making waves in that way. They just have not translated that to the field. So much like the approach we took to Texas, wondering, are they back? What are they going to do on the national stage when it gets really big and bright lights? That's the approach I'm taking with Miami for right now. No disrespect to Mario Cristobal, Cam Ward in that roster. I think the talent's there. They just need to prove it on the field before I can really start talking about Miami as a contender in a conference or going to the playoff. So that's just my take on Miami. But I do think Cam Ward is a major upgrade at quarterback, and I think the Hurricanes are going to make some noise in the ACC next year with a chance to do even more than that. Oh, I think that's very fair. I think that's a very fair take. We've seen that so many times throughout recent college football history. You look at a team like Texas, you know, the the infamous – Sam Ellinger video after the whatever 
minor bowl game it was that they won a few years ago. And then it took them a few years to finally actually be competitive. So I agree with you. We'll have to see how it plays out for Miami. We'll have to see it on the field before, you know, we can get any real judgments about how that team is. But that roster looks pretty loaded, and we'll see what Mario can do with it. Right. And, David, another thing I want to talk about with this whole transfer portal, NIL, modern era of college football that we're moving into all this expansion and now uh, we're not here to make accusations on the show specifically, but we know it's kind of existing based on some of the moves you see and all that is the tampering that's kind of going on and how we get this NIL not back into a box because once you let it out, you can't really put everything back in, but you can contain it and you can do more to fix it. And like we said to, at the top of the show, they need to fix the college football calendar. They just, there's a lot of things that need to get buttoned up and, and fixed around this. So there's been a lot of rumors with the whole tampering with Caden Proctor to Iowa. And some of that's just relationships and other of that. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Again, not here to make accusations, but do you think that tampering is a real thing right now? And what do you do to fix that going forward? What would your solution be to that? If there even is one under this format without guidance from a governance, like a college football commissioner. Yeah, this is a really, really hard subject because you look, obviously, Caden Proctor is the one that's been in the news lately, him going from Alabama to Iowa, um, and what he said about how, you know, the Iowa coaches were checking up on him midseason when he, you know, was going through a tough time, or, you know, I don't remember the exact verbiage that he used, but uh, that was the, the gist of it. And I think it's hard. You got to remember, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids you know, a lot of these these coaches that they've dealt with kind of present themselves as a father figure, and a lot of them act that way and, and really provide, you know, an excellent resource for these kids uh, who are still growing up and, and their brain is still developing and they're still going trying to figure out how to go through life. And I think it's hard to tell a guy like Caden Proctor, like, hey, you know, these coaches who you've known since you were probably in seventh or eighth grade, you can't talk to them at all anymore because that might be tampering. And I think it's hard. And I know there's a lot of gray area there. And, and you look at a guy like Proctor, who pretty immediately it was known that he was going to go back to Iowa, and you wonder if there's tampering involved. There were rumors that he was homesick, this and that. And and I'm sure it is happening on some level, but how do you enforce it? You know, How do you enforce it? Because there's a way, let's say Ohio State wants to go out and get X player from Alabama. Let's say Caleb Downs, random example. Okay, they want to go get Caleb Downs. You, what's stopping you from sending a text to Caleb's Downs brothers, friends, aunts, nieces, wife, and saying, "Hey, is Caleb interested in coming to Ohio State?" You know, you're not contacting Caleb, but you're contacting some extended member of his circle. You know, how do you enforce that? I think it's really hard. I don't have the answers. I'm not sure the NCAA or any of the other governing bodies have the answers either right now. Um, but it's hard. There, there's a lot of gray area there, and, and I don't know what you do, honestly. I think this is a little above my pay grade, um, but I'm interested to see how they decide to figure this one out because it definitely is a problem, and it is evident that it's happening in college football today. And I think even more than a salary cap issue because you have those major schools. So let's take Ohio State again for an example. I know we've talked extensively about them on the show today, but they really fit the bill for what we're saying. Ohio State is not a program that has to be heavily involved in the NIL game to field an elite roster. But when they do, watch out. And this is what you're seeing firsthand. Like if you had Georgia open Pandora's box and get into the collectives and load up a millions of dollar war trust, Michigan doing the same thing, you would see this kind of rate in recruiting. There are some brands that speak for itself and that recruit for itself and some places and some coaches that all do that. 
But when they get involved as a major, major player, this is the kind of recruiting that you can see. So I think it's all relative when you're going with the whole salary cap thing because it goes by what collective is this, what players you want to have here. But I think tampering has to be the one that's at the top of the list. And I know a lot of people, it's a touchy subject to them. And they're like, well, if we just get a salary cap, we could do this. Well, no, because it can still exist, just like you said, because there's ways to get in contact with people and what's legal and, and what's not. But I think at the top of the list has to be fixing this problem and also that 30-day opening of a transfer portal window in a special case if a head coach does depart for another job. I think those are the two rules you have to look at at the top of the list when thinking of what do we need to do to make college football better moving forward in this next installment of the playoff era. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how you would handle the 30-day window part. I think that's hard. Um, again, it's it's the Pandora's box that you mentioned earlier. You've opened it up that these kids have a choice to transfer to any school. How are you going to tell them now that they can't? You know, it, it's really hard, and I'm sure there would be lawsuits and things like that that would prevent that rule. Um, and speaking on the salary cap real quick, I think that would also be difficult. I mean, I think you look at the MLB, for example, that doesn't have a salary cap, but – I mean, how is San Jose State going to spend the same level as Michigan? How is Virginia Tech going to spend the same level as Florida State? You know, I think that that's just really hard, and I think that the, it wouldn't really solve that many issues. So I'm interested to see how they figure it out. There's a lot of problems right now. I don't have the answers. I'm going to leave it up to the experts. But absolutely, I agree with you that there's a lot of problems, and we'll see what happens. You just get the sense that people are starting to talk behind the scenes in high places about making mm -hmm. those changes. And hopefully we start to see those roll out over the, the coming months and year. But David, now to some more news on the NFL front here with Jim Harbaugh. We hear this offseason story and saga pretty much every single year. Is Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL? He's taking a meeting with the Vikings. Oh, he's interested in the Bears. Or there's mutual interest with the Falcons. Or Justin Herbert and the Chargers would be a good fit. Well, this year, Michigan has won the national championship. His stock is as high as it's ever been, maybe as high as it's ever going to be. He's interviewed with the Chargers now twice, according to reports. He's taken an interview with the Falcons as well. We've long believed the Chargers have been the favorite to land him if he would decide to leave Michigan. Do you think that this is the year that he does? And then is there a looming effect of, well, he has to because the NCAA will bring down sanctions because they want him, not particularly Michigan football. They want Jim Harbaugh. So does that factor into this decision for Harbaugh where he wants to leave Michigan in a quote-unquote better place than if he would stay because of the sanctions they'd have to deal with? Or do you think this is strictly business and he accomplished what he wanted to do at Michigan by winning that title, bringing it home similar to how LeBron did it to the Cavaliers back in 2016? The prodigal son returns home brings a championship to his city and his university and, and kind of moves on from there. I'm kind of in uh wait and see mode with Harbaugh. I think, you know, last off season, he took an interview with the Vikings and then told Michigan administration that he's done taking interviews. And obviously that's not the case. Um, so I'm in wait and see mode. I have no idea what he's going to do. I mean, this could just be all a ruse again, like it was last year, or he could actually take the job. 
Um, and honestly, I don't care at this point. The the news around this is just ridiculous. I just tell me what he's doing when he does it, and that'll be enough for me. Um, in terms of the prodigal son part, yeah, absolutely. I think he's accomplished what he wanted to, and if he did leave, I, I think it now is the right time. Um, but I'm just in believe it when I see it mode with him. I'm kind of over the will he, won't he shenanigans that's been going on and uh you can just let me know when he decides one way or the other <laughs> i mean he's a michigan man at heart we all know that we're not discounting that at all and i do think you're right if this is ever going to be a time where jim harbaugh does leave michigan it would be right now for a multitude of reasons particularly because he accomplished what he set out to accomplish and that was to beat ohio state win the Big Ten and compete on the national stage for national championships and win the national championship. And that's what they were able to do. But what would be interesting if he does take the job, let's live in hypothetical land, which you don't like to do a lot on this show, but for the sake of this argument, we're going to, if you would take Jesse Minter and potentially Jay Harbaugh as well, where would that leave Michigan as a program? More so on Harbaugh departing doesn't really affect too much with Jesse Minter and Jay Harbaugh for this. Well, let's just say he does because that's what the reports are saying. I think Michigan's in a really interesting spot as a defending champion that you don't see very often. It would almost take you back to 2019 with LSU after Joe Burrow and Joe Brady won, and then LSU loses both coordinators and about 15 players off the roster, and then they were right off the map in 2020. So I think that is more the path we would be looking at for Michigan, even though they are still very talented. I just think it would be really difficult to overcome though that many humongous losses. Yeah, I think it depends. There, there'd be a domino effect. You know, let's say that Harbaugh does leave, they decide to hire Sharon Moore. I think that's the the consensus right now that if Harbaugh leaves, he's probably the guy. We'll see how much of the staff he can keep intact. We'll see how much of the roster he can keep intact. And then from there, we'll make a determination as to how good this team will be next year. But they're going to lose 40 guys anyway just to graduation. Uh, so there's going to be significant attrition off that roster regardless. Their recruiting hasn't been great. They haven't been super active in the transfer portal this cycle. Um, they did grab a couple starters, including a linebacker from Maryland, Jay Sean Barham. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they decide to pursue that further. But, you know, I think you, you're right on the head. I think they are in a tough spot, and it's all going to depend on what Harbaugh does, and it'll snowball from there. And, you know, Sharon Moore, if he's the guy, is going to have a big task to try and keep as much of that program intact as possible he is and he kind of got the dress rehearsal this year while in harbaugh's absence similar to how ryan day did with urban meyer that year when he served a suspension for the whole zach smith situation so i think those are similar paths and i think shira moore is a trustworthy guy to hand the program off to if you were going to do one of those internal passing of the batons like bob stoops did with lincoln riley and urban meyer with ryan day so i think sharon for continuity's sake is a good hire. I think he's a good offensive mind. It's a lot different when you have to become the CEO of a program than when you're in charge of a position group and an offensive coordinator. And one thing too, I just want to caution the Michigan fans listening. Harbaugh was still coaching during the week on the back end of that season when he was the head coach for three days on Saturday. So Jim Harbaugh was doing the coaching from Sunday to Friday, just couldn't be with the team on Saturday. So that'll be much different than Sharon Moore fully being in charge of the program every day and coaching on Saturday, though I still think he would be the right move. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be the right move to keep that continuity going and give him a fair shot. You know, he he did what he was supposed to do when Harbaugh was suspended, won those big games 
Texas or Penn State and Ohio State. Um, and yeah, I think he's got to be the guy if Harbaugh likes to go to the NFL. And uh, I, I, I would think he will be. Yeah, you're right. And David, let's wind down the show here. Any closing thoughts? We know we covered a lot with the transfer portal, and that's really what the news cycle is these days and the whole coaching carousel and everything else. Any closing thoughts here winding down the show? Yeah, I think there's just a lot more to come. We'll see what happens with Harbaugh. That's probably the next big domino to fall. And then, you know, we'll see what happens over here at the, the signing period coming up in the next couple of weeks and any other coaching changes that may or may not happen. So a lot more still to come. It's been a fun off season already. The season just ended, but it's already been a fun off season. Um, and there's plenty more to come. It has been. And guys, we'll keep you updated. Stay tuned to our social media channels. There at Saturday Cadence on Instagram and Twitter or X and at Saturday Cadence Pod on TikTok. We'll keep you updated immediately when more news drops. And then we will follow up with an episode breaking it all down for you in more long form. Guys, it was a great season with it. We know we really haven't recapped everything yet because there's just been continuous news. Over 3 million views this season. So thank you so much for all of your support listening to the show wherever you get your podcast and also digesting everything on social media that we're getting out to so very grateful for you guys thank you so much for listening this has been the 71st episode of the saturday cadence podcast thank you again for listening for david wertheim i am blake Piscardi, and we will see you next week thank you for listening to today's show if you enjoyed the episode make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website tsilverbulletin.com and following us on social media at TSilverBulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow those social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news, the latest around college football, and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show, and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show. We would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.